The reading is 1 Samuel 9 and can be found on page 278 in the Red Bibles. We have Bibles in other languages and versions available at the back. There was a Benjaminite, a man of standing, whose name was Kish, son of Fabiel, the son of Zer, the son of Becherath, the son of Aphia, of Benjamin. Kish had a son named Saul, as handsome a young man as could be found anywhere in Israel, and he was a head taller than anyone else. Now, the donkeys belonging to Saul's father Kish were lost, and Kish said to his son Saul, Take one of the servants with you, and go and look for the donkeys. So he passed through the hill country of Ephraim and through the area around Shalisha, but they did not find them. They went on into the district of Shalim, but the donkeys were not there. Then he passed through the territory of Benjamin, but they did not find them. When they reached the district of Zoph, Saul said to the servant who was with him, Come, let's go back, or my father will stop thinking about the donkeys and start worrying about us. But the servant replied, Look, in this town there is a man of God. He is highly respected, and everything he says comes true. Let's go there now. Perhaps he will tell us what way to take. Saul said to his servant, If we go, what can we give the man? The food in our sacks is gone. We have no gift to take to the man of God. What do we have? The servant answered him again. Look, he said, I have a quarter of a shekel of silver. I will give it to the man of God so that he will tell us what way to take. Formerly in Israel, if someone went to inquire of God, they would say, come, let us go to the seer, because the prophet of today used to be called a seer. Good, Saul said to his servant, come, let's go. So they set out for the town where the man of God was. As they were going up the hill to the town, they met some young women coming out to draw water, and they asked them, is the seer here? He is, they answered. He is ahead of you. Hurry now. He has just come to our town today, for the people have a sacrifice at the high place. As soon as you enter the town, you will find him before he goes up to the high place to eat. The people will not begin eating until he comes, because he must bless the sacrifice. Afterwards, those who are invited will eat. Go up now. You should find him about this time. They went up to the town, and as they were entering it, there was Samuel coming towards them on his way up to the high place. Now the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed this to Samuel. About this time tomorrow, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. Anoint him ruler over my people Israel. He will deliver them from the hand of the Philistines. I have looked on my people, for their cry has reached me. When Samuel caught, Saul, caught sight of Saul, the Lord said to him, this is the man I spoke to you about. He will govern my people. Saul approached Samuel in the gateway and asked, Would you please tell me where the seer's house is? I am the seer, Samuel replied. Go up ahead of me to the high place, for today you are, you are to eat with me, and in the morning I will send you on your way and will tell you all that is in your heart. As for the donkeys you lost three days ago, do not worry about them. They have been found. And to whom is all the desire of Israel turned, if not to you and your whole family line? Saul answered, but I am not a Benjamite, Benjaminite from the smallest tribe of Israel, and is not my clan the least of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why do you say such a thing to me? Then Samuel brought Saul and his servant into the hall and seated them at the head of those who were invited, about 30 in number. Samuel said to the cook, 
bring the piece of meat I gave to you, the one I told you to lay aside. So the cook took up the thigh with what was on it and said, set it in front of Saul. Samuel said, here is what has been kept for you. Eat, because it was set aside for you in this occasion for the time that I said I have invited guests. And Saul dined with Samuel that day. After they came down from the high place to the town, Samuel talked with Saul on the roof of his house. They rose about daybreak, and Samuel called to Saul on the roof, Get ready, and I will send you on your way. When Saul got ready, he and Samuel went outside together. As they were going down to the edge of the town, Samuel said to Saul, Tell the servant to go ahead of us, and the servant did so. But you, have, but you stay here for a while, so that I may give you a message from God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. Nice to see you all this morning. I wonder, do you look back um, at parts of your life and see uh, moments of decision or moments where life might have gone in one or two different directions? I wonder if you have ever sort of looked back and reflected on uh, how things might have been different. I've been pondering, um, and occasionally my mind goes back to, uh, there was a point in my later 20s when I had applied for a particular job. Um, some of you will know my background is in uh, English literature. It was a, a kind of lecturer-type job. Um, I applied for it. Um, it was a job that I really was keen on getting. It looked great. I thought it would have been really um, interesting. Um, I got down to the last two, had to submit quite a lot of material, um, and I didn't get it. And I was pretty disappointed at the time. I really hoped, I thought this was, this was kind of what, this is the thing that was either going to set my kind of career going. I thought um, uh, I was pretty disappointed. I wasn't really sure um, why uh, perhaps it hadn't worked out. Um, but I have reflected over the years since then, good number of years since then, that if I had got that job, humanly speaking, I'm not sure I would have been in Manchester or in the Church of England. Um, it's funny how some of the ways, the paths things take. I suspect if I had got that job, I don't know fully, but that, that might have set me on quite a different path to the one that I have been on. And that actually has led me to Manchester, led us to Manchester over many years now. And what God knows and what we know are from quite different things at the time and what that is to live in that at that point. Um, I don't know if you've ever reflected back on the ways in which life may, might have taken different paths. That's something of our theme this morning. What is it that God knows and what is it that, in this case, Saul knows? And how different are they? We're starting this series. We began it last week. We're looking at the, the sort of introduction to Saul. And it does take us into Old Testament narrative, Old Testament stories. You'll know the Bible. Now, uh, just a brief, brief word about this um, as we go into it. And if this is something you know well, then that's fine. You can switch off for a second. But we're going into Old Testament story. And um, how you handle that matters, how you think about it as literature. The Bible, you might know, has got all sorts of different kinds of literature. It's got poetry, it's got letters, it's got apocalyptic literature. A great amount of it is story, narrative, particularly in the Old Testament. And how do you think about that? Um, sometimes what we can try and do uh, is, is not let the story do the work that it needs to. Uh, God gives us these, these narratives, I think, just to let them do their work. And sometimes we can take a story and we can sort of try and push it through like children's Play-Doh, as though you have to kind of stretch it out and make it fit something else. And so you take a story and you turn it into something that sounds more like a letter that tells you, 
do X, do Y, do Z. Whereas actually the story needs to do its own work. And in fact, a good story, you know this probably from, from uh, other stories in life, good stories have something to say. They don't just tell you what to think. There's a difference between those two. And we'll see as we go through. Stories have a way of getting in through the back door and sort of unsettling us and sitting there and, and making us kind of ponder and puzzle over things. A great example in the Old Testament comes a little bit later on after where we are at the moment. David, King David and Nathan, you might remember, uh, is a famous uh, point at which King David has committed adultery. And Nathan, the prophet, comes into him and he could have come in and said, David, you've committed adultery. You've done wrong. You need to repent. It's time to change. He doesn't. He comes in and says, there was somebody who owned a little lamb, and someone came along once and took that lamb from him. And if you know the story, David is outraged at this little tale. And then Nathan says, you, David, are that man who has stolen what was not yours. And stories have that power to get in under our skin and to work in different ways. And we'll see that as we go through with the story of Saul, um, a kind of just a, such a fascinating figure. Um, I came across this by a, a professor of, um, also a professor of English, so big up to professor, press, professors of English, um, Karen Swallow Price. She's also a professor of um, Christianity and culture in the States. And she, about how you handle stories, she says, uh, there is no one right reading of a literary text. There are certainly erroneous readings. There are certainly good readings. There are certainly excellent readings. But you need to let the story kind of percolate in your mind, to think it through, to see what is it doing? Why has God given us this story? Okay, preliminary is over. Okay, but if that helps you in your thinking about stories and how we handle them, great. We're going to look at this opening and this figure of Saul who is introduced to us. And the first thing that we see, and you may have been forgiven for thinking, it's a bit of a strange story that we get here. The opening, Saul is introduced to us as a figure in the dark. Saul is in the dark. Uh, the opening, do you know, he's really, <laughs> this is my best phrase for him, he is really a country boy at heart. He's a boy from the sticks. Uh, he's a boy from a little place, uh, Benjamin, little tribe, little clan, and uh, uh, he's introduced. Now, to be fair to him, as Pete pointed out, he's not a bad looker. Okay, so at the start, there was Benjamin, a man of standing. Uh, sorry, there was a Benjaminite, a man of standing, whose name was Kish. Uh, Kish had a son named Saul, as handsome a young man as can be found anywhere in the kingdom. And he was a head taller than anyone else. Um, and so you get, you know, so he's not bad looking. So, I, you know, if you are playing the movie version in your mind, he would, he would be the kind of uh, star athlete that you had at school. Um, unless you were the star athlete at school, in which case it was you. Um, or he was, uh, or, you know, if you're American, he'd be the homecoming king, the people who voted. They voted because they liked him. Um, and that's the kind of thing he is. But really, really, he's in the dark. And he is a simple farm boy at heart. And he says this himself in verse 21, near the end of the story, when he meets Samuel. And he says to him, look, I'm, I'm just a Benjaminite. Uh, from the smallest tribe, and is not my clan, the least of all the clans. What, what has this got to do with me? I'm just, I'm just a lad. Um, and actually, that's played out in the story. So the story, uh, which tells us he spends most of the time uh, in what is this kind of wandering journey, not really knowing what's going on. And it does involve donkeys. Now, donkeys, donkeys are always funny, aren't they? Here is a donkey. Uh, donkeys are just... They're just endlessly amusing. And you, you imagine the donkey here as if to say, 
you can't find me. Um, uh, he's found, uh, they, they go on this journey, and the donkeys belonging to Saul's father, Kishon, they're lost, um, which seems to come from nowhere. And he sends Saul out, go and find the donkeys, and they go to one place, and we're told three times, couldn't find them there, goes to another place, they weren't there, goes to another place, couldn't find them. And they've started out on this journey, and Paul, Saul doesn't seem to know quite what to do or where to go. Mercifully, he's got this helpful servant, sidekick, with him. Seems to have some good ideas, and the sidekick says, um, why don't we, I've heard about this prophet, why don't we go and ask the prophet, because he could help us out. And then Saul says, I, I sort of imagine this as Keanu Reeves when he was younger, sort of, oh man, I've got no money to give to the prophets. Um, so he's, he's kind of, you know, and he kind of, oh, it's a good idea, but, but again, the servant steps in, he's got some money, which is good, so they can go, because uh, it seemed that that was the thing you did, you, you brought a gift to the prophets. Um, when he, he goes and he gets there a little later on, um, again, you see him, he, he goes to the gate and he sees someone there and he says, could you tell me where I could find the prophets? And of course, it's Samuel. And Samuel is there going, I'm right in front of you, it's me. So all the time through the story, we have this picture of Saul. He's a country boy. He's largely in the dark. I don't think there's any too much against him, but that's just who he is and where he's come from. But the story went, you know, who me? Who, would I, who am I to be here? The story gives us this ordinary lad being led by a series of events and seeming coincidences to the point where he meets Samuel. Saul is in the dark. Yet, God has a plan. Then we sort of pull back the curtain, and there's another half to this story, which is from God's side of things, where everything that seemed to be coincidences and happenstances and just, you know, uh, it's all sort of bumbling his way along, turns out to have been planned by God. There is much more going on, and verses 15 and 16 are kind of key. They're where God reveals what has happened. So let me read those. Now, the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed this to Samuel, about this time tomorrow, so he's telling him the day before, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin, anoint him ruler over my people Israel. He will deliver them from the hand of the Philistines. I have looked on my people, for their cry has reached me. So it's like a flashback to when God had said, Samuel, I'm going to send someone to you, and this is my plan. Now, it tells us that there is more going on here than Saul realized or could know. So Saul was in the dark, but God wasn't. And there were little hints. Um, if you're somebody, um, so imagine you're uh, one of the readers of this story, and you also, you know the rest of the Old Testament up to this point, you know the stories, well, you, you actually might have had some hints along the way. Saul isn't the first person to go on a journey that seems a bit strange. You know, why am I being sent off in this direction? There are other figures, key figures in the Old Testament who go on journeys and find things out. And when Saul, um, around about verse 11, he's, they're going along and they land outside the town and there is a well there. If you're somebody who's read the stories of the Old Testament, you know lots of important things happen at wells. So your ears might prick up and think, oh, maybe something interesting is going to happen to Saul here. Um, so there are little hints along the way, but verses 15 and 16, they tell us that God had planned it all. He had revealed it supernaturally to Samuel. He'd revealed that he was going to send a man. He was going to use these ordinary lost donkeys to get Saul where he wanted him to be. 
he was going to, Samuel was to anoint him ruler, that this man is going to deliver them, the people, from the hand of the Philistines, and that God has heard my people's cry, which is very kind of him, given what he had to say to them last week about how foolish they were. He's actually still heard their cry, and he's going to respond to them. God has a very clear plan in mind. And he has a different plan to the one the people had, which we saw last week. So if you remember, and Pete talked to us, they wanted a king, and they wanted a king like the other nations have. We want a military leader. We want a strong figure. We want somebody who is going to rule and give us power and presence and significance. And when God says here, appoint a ruler... He says this, he uses a word, the word which translates ruler here, some translations have governor, some translations, older ones, have prince. The word that it is not is king. He doesn't say, anoint a king over my people. In fact, he says, anoint a ruler who is going to be under me and under my word. And this... um, Little diagram is my attempt to capture it. And this will be really key for what happens with the rest of the story coming. God's leader was very pointedly meant to be under God himself, his word, his instruction. And in practice, that meant coming through, in those days, through the prophets. So can you see the order of things? The way it was meant to be, I anoint a ruler, anoint a governor, anoint a leader for me who is going to be under me, under my way. And you see it in other ways. He says, anointing ruler over my people, Israel. Not your people, Saul, my people. Uh, It might help to think of it um, as almost like a steward king uh, or a steward leader, if you like. Not a sort of Henry VIII type of king. So if you kind of come to this series and you think, oh, so they want a king... Uh, and is God going to give them a sort of tyrant figure who, who can, you know, says what he wants, does what he wants, and no one can stop him? Actually, pointedly, very different. That was a very different conception of what the king was meant to be. God has a different plan. And so he has introduced that to Samuel, and Samuel is now going to invite Saul in, and he brings him um, uh, along, and the story kind of takes us towards a cliffhanger ending. Uh, so he says, look, you come, you come and have a, a meal with me. Um, I like the fact that as, uh, in verse 20, um, he says, I'm going to tell you what's in your heart. As for the donkeys you lost three days ago, don't worry. No donkeys have been harmed in the process of this uh, uh, meandering that you know, we, we've done here. Um, nice little you know, nod in their direction. Uh, Saul is confused. But if you can imagine, Saul is then basically brought into a banquet, a feast uh, of gathered dignitaries. And you're this farm boy from the backwater town, and you're sat at the most important bit of the table, uh, and they bring out the most important bit of, uh, the, the, the nicest, choicest bit of uh, meat for you, that's the thigh that they mentioned there, and they, bring, they set it for you. What is going through Saul's mind at this point? I don't know. You weren't expecting to find yourself in a banqueting hall, feasting as the guest of honor, uh, the VIP, at the prophet's uh, uh, gathering. But that is where he finds himself, and at the end... Samuel says to him, look, you send your servant on ahead. I want to talk to you. As they were going to the edge of the town, verse 27, Samuel says to Saul, you stay here for a while that I may give you 
a message from God. Or literally, that I may reveal to you a word from God. Now that diagram, here you are, I'm going to anoint you, I'm going to give you a message, a word from God that you are to be under. And the question I guess it leaves us with is, will Saul listen to that word? Will Saul trust what God has planned? This is going to be the massive issue for Saul in this unfolding story. Will he listen to God's words? Will he trust what God has planned? And how he handles that is the big thing. It's the heart of his story. And right at this point, because the storyteller is a brilliant craftsperson, we don't know the answer. We don't know yet. We've just met this man, Saul, from a backwater town, and we don't know how this is going to unfold yet. We know the question is, will he listen to God's word, God's word that's been orchestrating everything that's happened to this point? Is he going to trust what God has planned or not? We don't know yet. We'll have to wait and see. So come back in the next few weeks. But it is a story with a question, and it leaves a question for Saul. It leaves a question for us as we read it. Will we trust what God has planned? Will we trust what God has planned? And it is a challenge. It is a challenge, particularly if you're thinking about leaders that we have nationally, politically, perhaps even in the church. Will we trust what God has planned? Do those leaders do that? Do they try and solve everything under their own steam? But as we look at those situations, do we trust that God knows what he is doing? I know many are sort of wary or worried about the future of the church in this country at the moment. Do we think God needs us to run ahead of him? Do we think he knows what he's doing? Will we trust what God has planned. I know personally, and I pondered and wrestled with this, if we're honest, are we the same? Do we think we need to run ahead of God? Do we not think God knows what he's doing? Will we trust what he has planned? All those years ago, uh, the job that I didn't get, um, I still ponder, but do I trust that God knew what he was doing in that moment? There is, too, an encouragement as well, I think, as, as the formation of God's people is just beginning to outline the kind of leader they will need. And God's people always seem to take wrong turns in this, and they want this, and they want that. And actually, he's saying, you are going to need a leader who will put themselves under my words, who will submit themselves humbly to who I am. And we're going to see that, and actually you'll trace that through the story of the Bible. King, every king that comes after Saul, the same question will be asked. Will they put themselves under God's word and his instruction? And they won't, and we don't. And the Christian story, the unfolding Christian story, is that we don't until we find and meet Jesus Christ, who walks on this earth and does supremely and only that, and puts himself beneath his Father's words, completely trusting his plans for him. And it's an encouragement, even as we begin this journey with Saul, to think the kind of leader we will need is what we will see in Jesus Christ and what we know he came uh, to do for us.
Will we trust what God has planned? Uh, if you put it in song terms, because we're going to sing, it's asking, will we sing, great are you, Lord? The song that we're going to sing, the words, great are you, Lord. Is that something we can sing? Yes, Lord, I trust you. You are great. You know more, far more than we do. I'll give us a moment of pause, and then when the music starts, we'll stand if we're able and we'll sing together.